Sneakers and shoes. What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And it's so good to see you in person, Chelsea. It's been a minute. It's great to see you too. You have bangs, so I have to ask, it looks great, but like, are you in crisis? Like, is there a (laughs) mental health component? Because I feel like you always have to ask. With bangs. This is true. I feel like bangs are treated like an unplanned pregnancy. Like, did you mean for this to happen? (laughs) And I did. This was a conscious choice. I wanted to do a little something different. Yeah, it looks great. Thank you. I haven't had bangs in a minute. When I had the black bob, I initially had bangs. It was just too severe of a look. But this was my look from a toddler till about the age of 12. Right. So you're going back to your roots. So, Chelsea, have you canceled your UK Sunday Times subscription? <laughs> because I don't know if you noticed, but a fuckhead on Patreon said you will indeed have to call them to cancel. Okay, but another fuckhead was like laws in California about subscriptions are very strict and like you have to be able to do it online for California. So I don't know. <laughs> I haven't tried yet. But the worst thing about it is that I had to get a new membership this week. Which was to the Telegraph. Did you also or... No, I didn't, Chelsea. I went to People Magazine and just read the pertinent quotes. Okay, well, then you missed the profile. Okay, so I have to tell you again. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so Kristen Davis profiled for the Telegraph. The interview was conducted at the Brentwood Country Mart, which I thought you would appreciate. Kristen ordered a latte with cow's milk. So I assume she was at Farm Shop. For those who don't live in Los Angeles, the Brentwood Country Mart is a quaint country mart that you might imagine. It was built in the 60s. But it's- Okay, you say country mart like that's oh, something like that's we all understand. Sorry, it's like a fancy strip mall that was built in the 60s that looks like something that would be out of Litchfield, Connecticut, I imagine. And it does have in the center of it a fried chicken shop, but then also the goop store is there. Yeah, that's like where the one, the one goop store? Or is there another one? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's a vibe. I also love the detail that I guess someone walked by Kristen with a Cavalier King Charles and she was like, Love your dog. And I really hope that person like got it. Got it. And that wasn't lost on some random freak who's never watched sex in the city that's all i think about when i see those dogs of which a popular dog for los angeles i've noticed they're at the weho dog park a lot anyway so the writer obviously asked about the kim cattrall drama and she said quote you have to respect people's wishes i'm not going to waste energy on it i can't change anybody I do understand the fans' feelings that they're upset. I wish I could fix it, but I can't. It's not in my power. And Very Charlotte. Very Charlotte. But also, I think it's really noteworthy that all of the And Just Like That girls are so good at fielding these questions because nothing can be taken out of context. Like, they answer the question without really answering the question. Well, they answer the question to the degree that they want to answer it in the sense that they're not going to be like, Fuck that bitch. Of course. She's really fucked us over. (laughs) Of course. While we're at it, fuck Casey boys for going over all our heads. Like, I just think the wording is is masterful. Oh, absolutely. Which is not to say that I don't think 
it's genuine. I think it's very genuine. One of the best scenes in the Idol episode <laughs> one is about how these journalists, the currency of being an entertainment journalist now is to get these clickbaity quotes. Of course. And... There was another one. The fillers one? Yeah, which was Kristen talking about fillers. She's, I have that. Oh, you want to read that one? I've done fillers and it's been good. And I've done fillers and it's been bad. I've had to get them dissolved and I've been ridiculed relentlessly. And I have shed tears about it. It's all very stressful. This broke my heart because Kristen is such a beautiful person inside and out. And I hate that she had to witness the internet discourse about the work that she had done. One of the truest things she said is the idea that the internet wants you to, but at the same time, they don't want you to get work done. Oh, absolutely. There's a line, right? Because we have this expectation that celebrities should look a decade younger than they are. But if they get too much work, we don't like that because it doesn't look natural. But you can't look too natural or else you look your age. And it's such a fine line. And the same thing goes for weight loss, right? Like, our culture likes when a celebrity loses a little bit of weight, but when it's a lot of weight, like, look what happened to Star Jones, <laughs> you know? Yes, way to go back 20 years for a reference. I was going to more say, I think now it's when, when celebrities lose weight and don't acknowledge that it's Ozempic or Major Duomo or whatever that other drug is called. And I get it. I understand the instinct to talk about a celebrity's appearance when they have undergone a drastic change. And these days it does feel like a lot of celebrities' appearances are kind of in flux in a way. Also, people that are interested in pop culture have become even more savvy, thanks to the internet, about what people are getting done. So I think it's even more a conversation of now we're speaking more openly about who's had good work and therefore who's had bad work. Yeah, I think it's normal for people to want a little transparency. Obviously, celebrities don't actually owe us anything and we shouldn't really feel entitled to pick apart their bodies and their faces but because they also do set the beauty standards it becomes a little more complicated there is something where people who have had work done you will see them in person and they look fine but yeah. there's something that happens when that same person goes in front of flash photography or on film where it looks fucked there's also the reverse of that which is people that look completely normal on television but fucked in person i think there's different kinds of work that you can have done you would imagine that there is someone who specializes in doing work for actresses that makes them look good on camera of which i'm sure there is for sure anyway i appreciate that she is being transparent about it again i feel really really bad that she's had to deal with that and also she said in this interview she's like I'm constantly being confronted with images of myself from 20 years ago and there's this expectation that I should still look like that and that is really fucked up like you and I are not constantly being tagged in photos of ourselves when we were 21. That's true I mean it depends on how large your iCloud photo library is because sometimes you are cyber bullied by your <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> Also, I think you're saying we're part of the problem with Kristen as well. I don't think we're part of the problem with Kristen specifically, I, but we have, I mean, 
Last week, we mentioned the work that The Weeknd had had done. We've obviously talked about the Kardashians and, and stuff like that. So I do think we're part of the problem. I more meant that we're posting photos of Kristen from 20, 30 years ago. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, and we are discussing the idea that it is a double-edged sword. But to not also talk about it and the unrealistic beauty standards is just as fucked. I thought the more interesting quote was when Kristen said that none of her friends told her it looked bad either. Right. Until they did. Well, maybe it looked totally normal in person. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to tell. Yeah. The celebrity that I used to work for, whose name I still won't reveal, especially after this, was lambasted in the Daily Mail constantly for looking fucked. And when I would work with her in person, she looked fine. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Look, it's impossible. And I really do empathize with anyone who is a public figure on that level. Like, we feel enough pressure as is just being civilians, just absorbing this sort of current beauty standards. But we don't have thousands of people picking apart our bodies, our wardrobe choices, our faces. For sure. And the other thing with the lack of transparency, talking about having work done, that Kristen brings up is like, why am I getting shit? I'm not the one that like stuck the needle in my face. Why isn't the doctor getting shit? Well, I think the doctor did get some shit. But we don't know who he is. Yeah, true. So shall we do a little bit of an idol check-in? People are going to hate us. (laughs) No one rides harder for HBO and Max than us. Like, we even like the idol. And given the audiogram that we put on Instagram, (laughs) I think we convinced a few people to give the idol a try. And yet, we still can't even get a press login. Does anyone, like, work for Max or know someone that works for Max? Because we just want to be able to watch the episodes before they air. We're not going to do any sinister, spooky shit. It would just make our lives so much easier if we had access to that. Yeah, I feel like because of the nature of this podcast, people feel like, I don't know, maybe we talk shit or spill tea, but you guys have no idea how much tea is inside us that we don't spill on this podcast. We can keep a secret. Yeah, absolutely. I need access to episode three of The Idol early because I need to know if Elizabeth Berkley is indeed Lily Rose Depp's mother in this show. We know she's joining the cast because she's on IMDb, right? She's on three episodes? She's on four episodes thus far, starting with the upcoming episode. Episode three titled Daybreak. Episode four, Stars Belong to the World. And episode five, Jocelyn Forever. She's also in episode six, but that is an unnamed episode as of now. Yeah, I think it makes sense that this could be her mom. God, I hope so. Also, the more I watch this show, the more convinced I am that this is very specifically based on Selena Gomez and her life. You know, whether it's the assistant that's also her best friend, the we have to assume that Jocelyn's been raised by a single mother. Obviously, Selena Gomez's mother is alive, but I can't imagine her having a similar reaction Right. If she did pass away. Well, I saw a conspiracy theory on TikTok, which I'm sorry I did not save this video and cannot credit this person, but I also don't think this is true, but I would love for it to be, which is Elizabeth Berkley is not just going to be Jocelyn's mom, that she is Nomi Malone from Showgirls, and this is what happened after Nomi Malone got to Los Angeles. I love it. Although, can we talk about how gross the sex scene is and, like, why is it so gross? There's no reason why it should be gross. It should be hot. What happened? Uh, Or did you think it was hot? 
No, of course I don't think it was hot, but The Weeknd did do an interview where he explained that it isn't supposed to be hot. No, there's nothing sexy about it. When we use Basic Instinct as a reference, we're using Verhoeven, referring to the director, Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven is the king of 90s satire thriller. Yes, there's moments of, quote, sexy in his films, but there are other moments that are very cheesy and hilarious. However you're feeling watching that scene, whether it's discomfort or, or you feel gross or you feel embarrassed for the characters, it's all those emotions adding up to this guy is in way over his head. The situation is one where he is not supposed to be here. I think that tells you all you need to know about how this show came to be where it is and this seeming rift between the original show creator, Amy Simons, and The Weeknd, which is the fact that this man thinks this show is about him and somehow that character is in way over his head in that moment. It's like he feels he's in way over his head when he's telling her to stretch her tiny little pussy. (laughs) I know, exactly. Um, also, well, I want to have that lack of self-awareness that he's seemingly not aware that people are like, oh, no, 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 we think you're cringing gross. It's not that the scene itself makes us cringe. It's your behavior in it. Right. But that also does make it more like showgirls, right? Like showgirls is full of disgusting sex scenes with hot people. Like it seems like a good idea in theory, but it's not. Like, there's no reason why the Elizabeth Berkeley, Kyle McLaughlin sex scene in Showgirls shouldn't have been hot. Something happened. That is true. So it does kind of make the show feel more authentic to the genre because the sex scene is gross, if that makes any sense. Sure, but there are good erotic thrillers as someone who... (laughs) Oh yeah, I'd rather have it be hot, obviously. It's very interesting what tone they are purposely trying to go after. I also feel just from these first two episodes... The show is literally day and night. And what I mean by that is quite literally. (laughs) It's so true. In the AM hours, when it is about Jocelyn and her day-to-day of being a pop star that in this episode has shades of Black Swan to it, great. Once the sun sets and the weekend comes to visit her, bad show. Don't like this show. (laughs) Only watching the show to see if the sun comes out again and maybe we get the, the part of the show we want. It's so true it is so bifurcated based on what time of day it is (sighs) also again jane adams just like i can't she's so good she's the perfect villain she's the villain but she's also somehow my hero i think because we do respect the fact that she is the one running the ship that's becoming increasingly clear right everyone's kind of falling in line and doing her bidding and by everyone i mean everyone else on her team But, of course, she also is exploiting this mentally ill woman. Unless she doesn't want to perform and she'll just sign whomever. You seem talented. (laughs) And by whoever, you mean Jenny from Blackpink. And now this show is clearly going to become even more Showgirls-esque because there is now an all-about-Eve-esque plotline happening, right? Where Jenny is going to ascend and be the star and perhaps sing the single. However, we also learned spoilers for the idol, but no one's watching this. Honestly, I think people would prefer us just explaining what happens on the idol so that they can just (laughs) tell their friends and continue to hate the show that she is a plant by the weekend to one have brought Lily Rose Depp, Jocelyn to the club and then also to be her enemy, her competitor. Yeah, I don't get that part of the plot. When you 
see the weekend and his coven of musical acts that I'm also now realizing I think a big part of the inspiration was Charles Manson. There is a musical component. He really wanted to be a pop musician. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll obviously continue to watch this beautiful show on Max or on HBO. On HBO and Max. I watch it on Max personally. Hey guys, Lauren and Chelsea from the future, just letting you know, we're about to get into a pretty detailed and spoiler-filled conversation about the ultimatum queer love and then Natalia Grace documentary. So if you don't want to be spoiled, skip about 30 minutes ahead, I would say. Yeah, we don't deliberately enjoy spoiling things for you guys, but it's just very unsatisfying to talk about movies and television shows without acknowledging how they end. So bear with us. And also, I do feel like a lot of people listen to this podcast so that they are free of the burden of watching 12 hours of television. Oh, for sure. We're like the cliff notes of streaming television. Anywho, let's get into it. And what else is there to watch now that we've run through the ultimatum queer love? (laughs) Okay, you guys know I'm not a reality girl, but I got bullied into watching this show by every single lesbian I know. And then I had to bully Lauren into watching it so I'd have someone to talk to about it. So what are your thoughts? (laughs) Well... It's Pride, and I want to be a good ally, so I feel like I can't talk shit about this show. You absolutely can talk shit about this show. It's fine. Okay, these are some demonic lesbians. Oh. (laughs) The pickings are slim. It is dark. No, from a producing standpoint, brava, producers, brava. Very entertaining show. Yeah. Terrible vibes of people, though. So this is the second season of The Ultimatum. I don't know if you realize that. The first season was about straight people. And not that I watched it, but I did watch the trailer. And it seems to be women that are mad their partners won't commit to them. And so they've given them an ultimatum. And I guess they were like, you know what? No more straight people. Let's do lesbians next season. And... It is... Well, queer people, I guess, is the nebulous banner. No, it's fine. It's mostly lesbians. Queer love. So there are five couples who've been issued an ultimatum, and then they have to... By the way, it's 10 (laughs) episodes, including the reunion. It is one of the most confusing structures because... The first episode is set a setup of what's happening. Then they quickly go on dates with each other that I believe last for two episodes. Then they choose who they want to be in a trial marriage with for three weeks. Yeah. And then they go back to being with their original partner for three weeks. Which I did not know about. So when it got to episode six or seven, it was like, well, we're done with this trial marriage. I'm like, what are we doing for the rest of the episodes? And then they go back. <laughs> Okay, so who is your fuck, Mary kill for the ultimatum? Uh, can I, can, <laughs> Look, I know it's hard, but... Can I fucking marry the same person? No, and I know that we all want to fucking marry Mal, but yes. that's not an option. I'm going to have to kill Mildred. Okay, fair. Mildred is psychotic. I'll fuck Mal. I'll marry Lexi? See, I'm marrying Mal, fucking Lexi... And killing Vanessa. 
All right. Uh, for those who haven't watched the show, I don't even know. Should we get into the couples or do we just get into a discussion? I mean, we can get into the characters, I guess, the characters, starting with. characters, they're real people. Okay, just. sure. Whatever. I mean, yeah, we can get into the couples. Let's start with Vanessa, the woman that shows literally every single sign of histrionic personality disorder, including the tendency to act out sexually with people that she isn't sexually attracted to. So Vanessa was issued the ultimatum by their partner, Xander. And I got to tell you, I need a whole reality show about their relationship up until coming on the ultimatum because... They know each other because their high school jock boyfriends were best friends with each other. <laughs> they meet 10 years later and are basically like, are you gay now? I'm gay now. Let's be gay together. They've obviously ruined their ex-boyfriends' lives at this point by being on this show. They're not okay. <laughs> Can someone check way. up on those guys? Yeah, I think Vanessa, I mean, I understand what you're saying about Mildred, but with Vanessa, there's a fakeness and a shallowness to her that Lexi did pick up on early on, although I think she went a little too hard on her. Lexi was like, oh, um, Vanessa isn't taking this seriously enough. It's like, you guys are on a terrible reality show. Like, what do you expect? This is the thing. Vanessa was made the villain of the show, and they are incorrect. In the first few episodes terrible vibes while on the dating process but i agree lexi hits that a little too hard i you have to have the person on a reality show that is aware they are on a reality show and is giving entertainment and content but to vanessa's point it's we're seeing because the ultimatum is which is such a crazy premise they're either leaving quote-unquote married to someone else married to the partner <laughs> they came with or single how no one left single well, boggles my mind. Well, in the title cards for the reunion, some of them left single. Right, ultimately. But Vanessa's point is, I don't know if I want to be married to Xander. I think I may want to have some fun, which is completely understandable. Yeah, but does she not know that polyamory and like open relationships exist? Well, I don't think Xander's into that. <sighs> I guess not. Also, can we talk about Aussie, the non-binary Australian who chose the name Aussie? Like, let that sink in for a minute. That's Aussie's chosen name, is Aussie. No one says mate more than this person. You know, I thought that I dated avoidantly attached men, but I've never seen a more avoided person than Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Like, I empathize with the fact that they were paired with Mildred, but still, like, I would not have been able to handle that. They were not paired. They chose Mildred for reasons unknown. Right. And Ozzy, for those who haven't seen the show, pieces out from the trial marriage in week two. <laughs> yeah, they grab their backpack and they're off. The running down the hall, I couldn't <laughs> handle that. Oh, speaking of, like, bad vibes, the palpable lack of chemistry between Lexi and Ray is insane. Like, I think we have more chemistry than they do. More sexual chemistry? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so crazy. It's like, it's like, it's very like I've married my best friend, but if I had the most awkward relationship with my best friend imaginable. And to be fair, your wife thinks that when we hug and kiss each other's cheek, it's the most awkward thing in existence. So keep that in your mind when we say we have more chemistry than Lexi and Ray. 
Also, Lexi's obsession with being married at 24 or 25, it's like, what's the big rush? I get it. Your dad's a jeweler, but what? <laughs> no, it's truly psychotic. Like, she's crazy for that. Also, they've since broken up, and now she is on OnlyFans. I don't know if you've seen Lexi's OnlyFans. She does. She has an OnlyFans. Can we talk about her bio for a second? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, good for her. Like, she should be on OnlyFans. Felt like the right time to reintroduce myself to the class. I'm Lexi. Heart emoji. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm not used to being in the spotlight. I mean, you did choose to be on a reality show, but whatever. I have a lot of feelings, so be nice. I've been warming up to showing more and more on here, and it's only getting dirtier and dirtier. Yes, they're all natural. We should say, if you haven't watched the show, she has the most ginormous boobs. Like, it puts Selma Blair in a dirty shame to shame. Yeah, it's actually pretty incredible. I'm human and have to eat and sleep. And to be honest, sometimes I'm just too stoned, LOL. I'm Jewish, love boobs and pussy, <laughs> but I'm very curious in nature and I'm known to have eggplant for dessert on occasion, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I fucking love sports, my dogs, my family and friends. I am a loyal ass lion. I'm now going to start saying... <laughs> what's your best quality well i'm a loyal ass lion when it comes to my friends and family oh it's so so wild she also has some girlfriend that's very like dolls kill adjacent or so i've seen on tiktok they just became tiktok official i'm gonna say something possibly controversial i think everyone who participated on this show wanted to be a personality of some kind. Oh, absolutely. They didn't actually want to save their relationships. All of these relationships are unsavable. Not one of these relationships is viable. I am so shocked that Ozzy and Sam are still together. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. It's like the saddest relationship I've ever seen. Also because it seems, I mean, Ozzy, they have a lot of issues, like, even in the reunion, they were like, oh, yeah, I still have not introduced them to Sam. Which was like, okay. Even the host, which, can we get into the host? Oh, yeah, they won't come out to their family, but they're just going to come out to their family via this reality show, which is, like, actually psychotic. I guess Ozzy assumes they're not going to get this in Australia. I don't know. But also, I don't know if you clock this in one of the episodes... Sam is talking to Ozzy when they're back in the trial marriage and is like, I know a big issue with you is that you want to be the breadwinner and you're not because I make more money than you. It's like, wow, okay, we're going to be this reductive. Like, I can't marry you because I'm not the breadwinner and I need traditional gender roles in this kind of genderless relationship. Yeah, it's it's wild. I do love Mal, though. Mal is fucking hot and also has the best vibes, although Tat did tell me that she had cheated on Yoli before the show started filming, which is why she's so lax about when she went off with Xander. Oh. Which makes a lot of sense. But I am, like, waiting with bated breath to see who Mal dates now because her girlfriend is going to be so hot. Of all the people that want media careers, I want this for Mal so badly. Oh, she's got it. We're going to be going to uh, to DJ Nights with Mal in no time. Can we discuss the host? Because 
The host is a woman named Joanna Garcia Swisher. And for a second, I was like, oh, maybe this is the person who's married to Kara Swisher, famous media lesbian. No. Okay, but is she the host of The Straight Ultimatum? No, The Straight Ultimatum was hosted by Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey. That is fucked up. This should be hosted by a lesbian, someone that understands like this psychotic culture. And there's so many like wonderful comedians. I mean, this should be a Leah Delaria, a Fortune Feimster, a funny lesbian. Get Margaret Cho up in there. I would take a heterosexual female comedian that's coded lesbian like Janine Garofalo. Sure. Janine Garofalo understands the culture, I'm sure, more than this chick does. Anyone but this Hallmark actress, and no disrespect to her, but the problem with the reunion was, and any of those check-ins with this host is, she just seems so glazed over of like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, or even just give me a gay man at the very least. Like, where's Ross Matthews? You know, (laughs) I guess he's on Drag Race, but you know what I mean. He's also on the Drew Barrymore show. Okay, he's everywhere. Give me the poor man's Ross Matthews. Well, I would love kind of your reading of each of the couples. I would say (laughs) that the central dynamic of the show is Vanessa goes with Ray, Lexi's partner, which upsets Lexi, Lexi dearly. Yoli, who was with Mal. Wow, I really feel like I'm someone explaining <laughs> the L word to, to someone. Yoli goes with Xander and they have sparkage like no other. Right. It's a very forbidden love that evidently lasted until Coachella. Right. Well, I was sad that more of them did not fuck in the trial marriage because it could have led to a lot more drama, but we only really got... Vanessa and Ray and obviously that was really awkward and barely sex and then we got Xander and Yoli well is fingering fucking sorry to sound like a complete straight person (laughs) absolutely and that's what an actual lesbian would say actual lesbian would never say fingering just FYI anyway I guess my issue with Lexi and her one woman campaign to take Vanessa down is the fact that Vanessa's not smart enough to be this Machiavellian. She's not trying to fuck up your life from the inside. I agree. And I will say, to Vanessa's credit, she did seem to have evolved by the time the reunion came around. You can tell how much she evolved from the letters she would write and read out loud throughout the series. (laughs) But I do think it's evil that she did come into the show thinking that Xander wouldn't find anyone. She came onto the show because she wanted, I can only presume, the exposure of reality TV and to hook up with random people. She did not think that her partner would meet anyone. And then she felt blindsided like that. She realized she was no longer the center of attention. So then she tried to pull Xander away from this person that she was clearly much more compatible with, which feels a bit evil. Like, I understand the concept of mimetic desire, but still. And I think the most evil thing of all took Xander up in a hot air balloon. <laughs> People die in those at a, at a frequency that would shock you. <laughs> this show is fucked. What are they going to do for season three of The Ultimatum? I have no idea, but I'm excited. I feel like lesbians never get satisfying reality shows like we've had tampa bays which was like rock bottom and unwatchable in my opinion (laughs) 
and we got the queer season of Are You the One, which or the bisexual watch. season. But you did watch Tampa Bay's. No, not all the way through. No, I watched the first three episodes, and then I had to take like a shower. Anyway, um, so watch at your own risk. <laughs> what a way to celebrate Pride. I know. So I feel crazy because I watched The Ultimatum in one day, and then I watched The Curious Case of Natalia Grace the next day. I feel very similarly. I had a bit of a cold earlier this week, and so I just binged The Ultimatum because I knew we would have to talk about it. But I got to tell you, I did binge the Natalie Grace documentary, but it was pure joy because I couldn't stop watching it. Oh, yeah. It's completely addictive. I was riveted to this story. For those who do not know, this is the real-life orphan case. That happened after the film Orphan was released. Which, at the time, everyone was like, that's so crazy. This movie came out that kind of has this similar plot about a young Russian-Ukrainian orphan who was adopted by an American family, and then that orphan tries to kill them. Now, having watched this documentary, I think the mother may have watched that film and took some notes. Yes, for sure. Where to begin? I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> this is such a deeply fucked up and twisted story. It gets more fucked up at every turn, I find. That was my point to you about just keep watching it. Because also, I need three documentaries within this six-part documentary. Because in the first part, it lays out this orphan-esque horror scenario, which is like, you adopt a child... She starts, like, leaving, like, period underwear all over your house, peeing all over your house, shitting all over your house. Then she starts to, like, poison you, grab a butcher knife and, like, come up to you while you're sleeping, like, all of these things, this narrative that this family created. But is some of it true? Like, how disturbed is Natalia or is she not disturbed at all? She's definitely a weird person is what I've gotten from that documentary. I was reminded of, as you know, my TikTok obsession, the couple that bought the house in Florida that is rat and roach infested and claimed they did not know this and just thought the owner's furniture smelled. Anyway, this is a topic for another time, but I was reminded of them when Michael and Kristen Barnett of which Kristen Barnett is not interviewed at, at all in this documentary, only her husband Michael is, he explains that they went down to Florida, of course, and had a day to decide if they wanted this child before they went down. Went down, thought they were in the wrong place because of how run down this orphanage looked. Yeah, it was an adoption agency. They adopt what they believe is a six-year-old girl. Kristen Barnett is giving her a bath in their hotel room and Shrieks brings Michael in and it is revealed that the six-year-old has pubic hair, of which they then start Googling, how old are you when you have pubic hair? When they get home, she has a period. She starts being a weird shit, doing weird shit things. They claim that Natalia was threatening to kill them. There's an incident at a cow farm sanctuary involving an electronic <laughs> fence that, that either was on or wasn't on, depending on who you speak to. And then they have a court of law re-age the child to be 22. Right. Which is pretty arbitrary. Oh, it's insane that this was allowed to happen. Because the judge is like, well, you were probably 16 when they got you. It's been six years, so you're just 22. But basically, like, she was like eight. Right. I was. <sighs> Do we have a reason to dispute 
the birth certificate apart from the fact that everyone's like, she looks like she's obviously not a child. I mean, this documentary is pretty manipulative and I love it for that, but... It really is, yeah. They take you through three perspectives as the documentarian whomever the person who made this documentary was which is the first three parts you're really on the side of the barnett family they talk about an incident where they introduce natalia to another girl who is her same age who has the same condition she has and they look wildly different right like she looks like old compared to this girl yes then they follow natalia when she is Abandon any way you look at it, which is the point that is made of even even if she was an adult, she has disabilities that would need care. You couldn't just leave her in an apartment as they fucking did. Right. And then they spend a couple of parts interviewing her neighbors who were like... These poor people, by the way. Who was like, she's a terror and she's super weird and we would have to pretend we weren't home so she wouldn't come by. And then they also kind of allude like maybe she's a sexual predator as well. Because she got kicked out of the mental hospital for trying to fuck all of the male patients. But then it's also alluded to that her mom basically tried to prostitute her out. Which again, sounds straight out of Orphan First Kill, but... (laughs) Straight out of Orphan First Kill. And also that, I don't know, we don't really know, like the cliffhanger with the dad. We don't know what that allegation was. Oh, the allegation that the producers say to him off camera and you just see his reaction, there's no way that it isn't sexual abuse. Yeah, that was what I took from it yeah, also. So the last third of the documentary, they they basically were like, forget the first four or five parts where we manipulated you that Natalia is a terrible person. The Barnetts are horrible. Uh, according to Michael Barnett, Kristen has abused him. The producers go to the Ukraine during the war and find Natalia's mother, and it proves that she was born in 2003. However, it's as if they want you to forget and really don't acknowledge or have any answers for, like, then why did the six-year-old have pubic hair? Well, aren't there, like, hormonal disorders and aren't there people that do develop super early for whatever reason? But that's not really investigated. It's weird because we are presented with the birth certificate, but then we're presented with all of this other information that contradicts that. Although I do believe after seeing it that she was a child. My personal theory is that she's a few years older than she's, they said she was, but she certainly wasn't a 16-year-old or wasn't an adult. But the super fuck thing is that at the time that the documentary ends, we see Michael Barnett go through the court case that was filed against him, against the state that he committed child neglect and child abuse by leaving this child in an apartment, a second floor apartment to live alone. So horrible. I mean, these people are, The dad is such a complex character and he's a monster, but I do think it's interesting how he kind of shows us the full range of his emotions throughout the course of this series. I was watching a clip recently of Nick Kroll was on Joe Rogan and they were talking about the ESPN OJ Simpson documentary. And Nick Kroll is like, look, I don't know what it's like to lose a child, but I just want to say like Ron Goldman is someone that seems very comfortable in front of the camera. And I feel that way about Michael Barnett. It is a a particular type of brain rot to be like, 
same with the guy in the staircase to (laughs) be at the the center of this controversy where you are very much a criminal and be like yeah yeah follow me around at nauseum there's no way that i could look bad in this i mean he's lost his mind it is clearly narcissistic psychotic and did commit crimes that he was ultimately not punished for because the judge when she was re-aged to 22 they couldn't bring up all of the information like here's her actual birth certificate because in a court of law she was an adult when this quote-unquote neglect happened which i don't understand why you can't just ask to be re-aged again seriously so the two documentaries that i need within this documentary one of which is yes when she is in lafayette indiana she is befriended by a family and now has, as you said, Chelsea, a black scent. That was crazy. That was that was like a curveball I did not see coming. I'm like, who is this Billie Eilish ass girl? And another problem with the documentary is for it being six hours long, they don't interview Natalia Grace now. All you see of her and how we come to know she has a Billie Eilish circa 2017 accent is through a 2019 deposition that she gives. Because 10 million people watched this docu-series, I feel like it is in the world of possibility that she could get paid a shitload of money to do another episode of this where she does tell her side of the story. Right, that was talked about even going back to 2011 when this story first came to light was that Kristen Barnett came to prominence because they had a very gifted autistic child and she wrote a best-selling book about that. And the reason they left Natalia in Lafayette was they moved to Canada. They moved to Canada so that that son could go to a college, I believe, at like 16 or something. Yeah. And when you meet him in this documentary... He is living in the basement of his father's house, not really doing much. I don't want to speculate about what conditions this person does or does not have, but it seems like there might be something there. And then that paired with the insane amount of PTSD that you would have if this happened to you. Like, this is enough to ruin your life. Oh, 110%. And I should say, Chelsea, I know that we've given David Zaslav a lot of shit but we do love max and i have to say this isn't an hbo documentary this comes from discovery do you know how much weird discovery documentaries we haven't been watching and thanks to max we have access to i'm into it we owe zaslav an apology wait has everything oh the uh, right the ultimatum was on netflix okay although i gotta tell you i went to max looking for the reunion for the ultimatum and was like oh shit it's netflix anyway so that was really dark shall we move on to fashion Let's do it. There's some menswear shows. Yeah, there hasn't been a ton going on in fashion, but there were a couple of shows that were extremely cunt. Firstly, Saint Laurent, who showed in Berlin this season. Our boy Anthony Vaccarello is continuing to explore androgyny in a way that I find to be very satisfying. The Tilda Swintonfication of menswear, if you will. I also saw it was giving like Visconti. It was giving the damned. It was giving death in Venice. Yeah, totally. 
It's definitely an extension of the previous collection, which we also really liked, or the previous menswear collection thematically, but the silhouette is super different. Like, I feel like that last show was all about like those long coats and like outerwear. And this is about like big boxy jackets with like slim little pants and then like a pointy Cuban boot. It's really clothing meant for Timothée. Yeah, the other side of it is like it's about like putting men in like flirty little chiffon blouses. It's about putting a man in a halter neck (laughs) (laughs) and sending him out there and going, hey, look at me, world. There's something about his version of androgyny that hits different. And I think that part of it is the fact that we never get androgynous clothes without some sort of subcultural reference, right? Like it's usually like it's androgynous, but it's goth or it's punk or it's grunge or whatever. Whereas he's just trying to make like a cute little blouse. Remember that Friends episode where Jennifer Aniston accidentally, Rachel accidentally makes the Thanksgiving trifle and she accidentally makes makes a trifle, but also it has uh, meat in it because she the two pages have stuck together. I feel like that is this, but with like an 80s Vogue where it's like power men suiting and then like a leopard top that would have been seen on Joan Collins or something. Yeah. And those pages just got stuck together. I'm into it. Also, I want to talk about Martine Rose's show. She continues to be... Extremely cool, very good at androgyny, although she definitely comes at it from more of a grunge angle. Like all the outfits in this show look like they could have been put together by someone at the Salvation Army. That's like, oh, I found this corset top and like these like fluorescent work pants and I made like a cute outfit. Yeah, I really thought that the styling especially when it came to the layering of it, was very inspirational. Yeah, she's a great designer, but I think that these shows are really, really strengthened by the styling and the casting and all of those things sort of working together. But in terms of like the looks, I really was into that like baggy pink flocked terry cloth suit. I continue to enjoy the square toe loafer that she's been making for like quite a while now. And also, I think that her graphic pieces are always really strong. Like, high fashion's journey into streetwear has been awkward at times, but I feel like what she does is quite appealing and cool. And this is reminding me that I'm very sad that she didn't get that Louis Vuitton job. I mean, you could look at it either way, though, that she was able to preserve her creativity by not going to the Louis Vuitton menswear role. But I feel like they would have let her do whatever. I don't know. Hard to say. Oh, yeah. When are we getting Pharrell's first show? In September? Well, we got Pharrell's first ad today with Rihanna, but it doesn't really reveal much apart from the fact that he wants to make Louis Vuitton bags in primary colors, which I could have told you that, <laughs> you know? Yes, I'm, I'm seeing her carrying a, a red, yellow, and green bag. But yes, very excited to see what he does. I don't know when that's happening. I don't think we're going to have to wait much longer. The show is going to be June 25th. We get it and just like that. And then we get a, the monogram canvas print, but for kindergartners. <laughs> <laughs> what an exciting month June is going to be. Uh, shall we get into Kardash? Yeah, let's play the theme. Kardash, Aholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. Yay, had a birthday, and it was great to see Samantha Jones show up. (laughs) 
I believe what you're referring to is the fact that he had like naked women with sushi on their bodies at this party. So 2008. I didn't know we were still doing this. I'm not offended by it. Like I would be pretty into it. I think if I went to a party and there was like naked women with sushi, but it's a weird vibe because he's sober now. So he doesn't let anyone drink at these parties. So it's like, imagine being confronted with that. Without a cocktail. <laughs> That's not even my issue in regards to Kanye and doing this. He's a Christian now. He's anti-porn and hates that Kim shows off her body, but somehow this is okay, which I would assume because these are not women who have had his children, so therefore he's okay with it because he's one of those gross men's rights activists. Right. Of Like, there are women and then there's my wife and the mother of my children. Yeah. But Chell, would you really take sushi off someone's body? You're right. No, it's more about the look of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd eat the sushi that was like around, but not like off someone's body. You wouldn't take sushi off her sushi? Honey. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I'm just cluing into my inner Samantha Jones. I think the reason, if I had to guess why you like the visual display of a woman with sushi on her body is it harkens back to our beloved standard West Hollywood of like a woman in a box just hanging out. A lot of people think that this is sexist, but I think there also just needed to be men. Like in the standard box, like that was men and women. That's true. Oh, we needed some some naked men with sushi on their body. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay, but then would you also still not take sushi off a man's body? Because I would, it's just, it's weird. Yeah, no. Of course, I. it doesn't matter what gender the naked person <laughs> is. I'm not eating sushi off of their body. All right. Also, I feel like we should note that Kanye, and I know people hate when we talk about Kanye, but it feels weird to act as if Kanye is no longer in this family. In the same way that it would be weird if we never talked about Caitlyn Jenner again, who is also very problematic. We love the Kardashians, and because of that, we love their rights and their wrongs. Yeah, well, I just feel like we need to acknowledge the black sheep of the family instead of pretending that they're not there. Especially when they intersect with things that happened in Sex and the City movies. Anywho, shall we talk about the new episode of the Kardashians? Yeah, man. This felt like Godfather Part 2, just seeing Michael and Fredo beginning to fight. I know. And we finally get the line where Kendall says she feels like her wedding vibes were like stripped Stripped. from her. I usually find Courtney's comments and reasonings asinine, but she stopped me dead when she said, in reference to Kim, she's really driven, but doesn't know what's driving her. Yeah. I was like, wow. She also made the point that was like, look, it's not as if like I was in a Dolce campaign and then Kim was in one the next season and I'm annoyed about it. She was like, it was literally my wedding. Four months ago. Yeah. But why is Courtney not mad at Dolce and Gabbana? It takes two to tango. Yes. And the people who stand to make the majority of the windfall is not Kim, it's Dolce. It's true. I also love that Courtney is like, oh, no, no, no. My branded wedding was genuine. What Kim's doing is commercial bullshit. Courtney said that Kim was in a bad mood, I guess, at her wedding. Kim wasn't happy and everyone... I guess mentioned that to Courtney during the course of her wedding. And I was like, is it because Kim has better taste than you do? And was just sort of like, what's going on here? No, I think her inference was that 
Kim was jealous because it was like better than her weddings have been, which I would argue is probably true. That is true. And that she couldn't handle it not being about her and it being about Courtney for once. Um, And another thing that Courtney said was that basically insinuating that all she cares about is money. But the thing is, I don't even think the financial aspect of this is what drove her to do it. One, Kim doesn't need the money. Whatever money she was offered by Dolce, I do think it's the honor to be invited and in a way sort of anointed by whatever you want to say about Dolce & Gabbana, a luxury fashion house is bringing you in and saying, you are worthy. We think your creativity is good enough to be with us. And she continues to try and establish herself in the fashion world. I mean, obviously, she's made huge inroads in doing that with skims and with things like being in the Balenciaga ads and stuff. But she's trying to get away from Kanye and do her own thing and carve a different path. And I totally understand why she wanted to do this, but I do understand why Courtney would be annoyed by the timing of it. On the other hand, Kim did give Courtney her career, so it's a complicated situation. For a family that seems to be together all the time and in each other's business, they seem to be terrible communicators because the timeline doesn't exactly make sense. According to Courtney, Kim was just like, hey, I'm thinking of doing a Skims thing, of which already Courtney was annoyed, which to be fair, Courtney was like, why are you coming to me? Is it just so, because you're not asking if I should do this or if it's okay. You're just telling me you're doing it. So do you want me to give you my blessing? Because I don't. Right. And Kim was like, oh, okay. And then was like, I'm just going to do this. Again, the source of the problem doesn't seem to be Kim, because even Kim herself is like, can I do this next year? And they're like, no. Which seems to be a Dolce & Gabbana-sided issue. There's no real reason why Kim had to do that collection last October. No, there isn't. Sorry, Courtney. Yeah, Chris is entitled to do things without asking you. Yeah, of course. This has always been my central issue with Courtney is... (laughs) Also, like, Courtney's lack of being interested in the world where she's like... I really didn't know what was going on. Like, I'm not thinking about Milan. I'm thinking about my children. Um, which really does, I know you hate when I mention this, really does have Sherry Shepard, like, I don't think about the earth whoopee energy from the view. (laughs) I'm not thinking... Justice for Sherry. (laughs) I'm not thinking about Milan, Kim. Courtney's lack of acknowledgement of like, oh, I get to do nothing all day and just be a mom and live in this $12 million mansion because Chris and Kim built this empire that I was able to have this amazing windfall from. I typically side with whoever Chloe is siding with. And in this instance, it is Kim. To be a little bit on Courtney's side, Chris and Chloe are almost near gaslighting Courtney while being in Milan, being like, I don't understand. What is she mad about? Like, what could possibly be the connection? It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, Courtney's wedding had a very specific aesthetic within the Dolce & Gabbana extended universe. It's not what Kim's collection looked like. Kim seemingly didn't express, hey, I wanted to push the show here. Hey, I told them not to do anything that was involved in your wedding. But also it seems like even if Kim had sent that email or had said that to Courtney, she'd be like, I'm not paying attention. I'm above all this. Seems hard to reach Courtney. For sure. Beyond that, did anything else happen? 
Finally, Kim Stylus was able to get off the private jet in Milan. <laughs> I want that movie. Remember how Tom Hanks was in that movie called The Terminal where he couldn't leave the airport? No. All right. Well, anyway, I want a film about Kim Kardashian's stylist not being able to leave a private plane because she forgot her passport. I do think it's crazy that they were just going to style that in what, like a day? Yeah. We know how fast Dolce works. It's not that surprising, but... No, but still. Really what they're doing is styling and just saying yes, no, yes, no. If I was Kim, I would have brought on a stylist in addition to my stylist because that's just like a whole ass job. Well, Tracy Romulus is there. (laughs) I love that Kim's journey as a person is just being a woman who dared to have an opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she does not like that white bolero. <laughs> <laughs> she discusses in the episode, she's like, you know, previously I would just let people do whatever they wanted and just not enjoy it. But now I say how I feel and, you know, I don't want that bolero. But I get that it's awkward that she has to tell Dolce and Gabbana like to their face, like, this is not my vibe. Also because a second before Dolce's like, it's beautiful, it's great. Yeah. I thought the most awkward conversation was between Kim's stylist and her about what she should wear to the show. Kim wanting to wear the dress she ultimately ends up wearing and the other stylist is like, you should be in like... The most Kanye-esque Dolce outfit. To be fair, the other one looked great, but she could not walk in it. So that wasn't a viable option. She's like, unless it's Marilyn Monroe's archival dress, I must be able to walk in things. I think that was less constricting than whatever that plastic thing was. Well, she kept saying that the, the plastic dress was catching on the shoe, sticking to the shoe. And that's why she couldn't walk, really. Yeah. Anyway, also, we got a storyline between Kendall and Kylie, which seems to be like, all right, we'll come and film, but we're just going to do zany activities together. Oh, yeah. It's like we're riding horses. It's like, I don't need this. Can't you guys just talk about your boyfriends or like what's going on with Caitlin or something? Also, Kendall is there to have a conversation with Courtney and seems to be the only person that in person is like, hey, you seem to be bothered by something. What's going on? But also she has a whole speech about how everyone should know their place in the family, which seemed like a a brand activation concept of like, I do tequila. You would never do tequila unless it was an 818X Lemmy vitamin. She doesn't actually say this, but this is what I imagine the conversation or the subtext of what she's trying to say. Like we stay in our lanes and once we find out what we do, we don't steal the other person's thing. Yeah. Like if Kim created a gummy vitamin, that would be fucking with Courtney. Babe, I mean, that could be on the horizon. (laughs) That could easily be part of the skincare line. Skin X Lemmy? Lemmy skin? Well, this is just the beginning of this feud that I do hope lasts all season. Well, also, how many episodes do we have left? Like, is the season almost over? According to the internet, they say 10 episodes. All right, beautiful. Okay, guys, so, and just like that is starting next week. So this is our last, like, quote-unquote normal episode that we're going to have in a while, that we're going to have until September, I guess. Oh, wow, just a summer event just like that. We'll definitely be talking about the sorts of stories that we usually talk about on this show on Patreon, but we can't really do both. It's just too much, guys. It's too much content. So yeah, if you want more idle updates, you know where to find us. (laughs) And yeah, guys, we'll be back next week with our thoughts and prayers for and just like that episode one. Wait, so if that comes out on Thursday, 
Then we record on Friday and the episode comes out on Saturday. I don't know. It depends on if we do get that press login. (laughs) God willing. Let's put that out into the universe and we will be back next week. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.